0: Yeah, if you have your Bible, just turned turn to Matthew chapter 6, and your outline is in your uh, bulletin uh, for this morning, as we are just about finished with this series on the power of a praying church, and we're kind of going through the Lord's Prayer and uh, dissecting it. You know the Lord's Prayer is not just words to be repeated, uh, but Jesus gave us a pattern for prayer, and He really kind of, through these few words that He uses, drills down into some very distinct areas of our lives that we deal with day in and day out, and so the title of this, this, uh, this morning's message is, What's the Big Deal About Temptation? So as you could tell with these kids, um, all of them handled temptation differently. Uh, some of them just were p- very patient, didn't touch the marshmallow. Others touched it, had to smell it. Uh, some were like nibbling, how close can I get without actually eating it? And can I eat around the outside of it and the, you know, ha- not have the woman know that, oh yeah, I've ate- eaten a part of that. So as we uh, enter into this section of the prayer, Jesus says uh, in this prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now you'll notice there's an article in front, the evil one. Who is the evil one? He is the tempter, uh, that is Satan, his demonic beings who tempt us uh, in various ways. So let's just kind of recap a couple things real quick, because um, this section of the prayer really deals with an issue that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. When we talked about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you'll notice that Jesus used the word debt and debtor. He didn't use the word sin or sinners uh, or sins, and there's a reason for that, because Jesus is really dealing with four areas of heart problems that we have, heart issues, And so here are the four because they are dressed in this prayer uh, that we have to deal with all the time. So the first one is that of guilt, right? So we we do something wrong, we feel guilty. And if if I do something wrong and I feel guilty about it, then guilt says, I owe you, right? I may owe you an apology, I may owe you money, I may owe whatever it is, but I owe you something. Anger says, you owe me. Like, so if you hurt me and and you say something about me, and I'm angry at you, that means that you owe me something in in payment for whatever it is I think that you owe me. So you'll notice that there is a debt-to-debtor relationship here, which is what Jesus is getting at. Uh, These are the heart issues that we deal with. The third one is greed. Greed says, I owe myself. And then the last one is jealousy. Jealousy says, God owes me. And this is one of the most difficult ones that we have to deal with, and it's a huge area of temptation in our life. And it's one of the issues that Jesus deals with here uh, this morning when he says, deliver us from you know, do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from, from the evil one. Because, the, again, all four of those heart issues that we deal with on a daily basis deals with this debt-to-debtor relationship. Somebody owes somebody. So the only way I can alleviate the debt is that either, A, somebody pays the debt, like if I owe you an apology, if I apologize, and then I've, I've paid the debt, or the person whose the debt is owed to, they choose to forgive the debt. They release you from the debt, which is what we kind of looked at last week when we have to forgive our debtors. You know, Jesus talked about the king and the servant owed him a lot of money, couldn't pay him, and, uh, but the king released him of the debt that he owed him. So that, that's really what it is. So when it comes to guilt, I owe uh, the only... The way that I can alleviate my sense of guilt is through confession and repentance, right? And the reason why we confess and repent is not to receive forgiveness from God that was never there to begin with, because when I gave my life to Christ, all my sins were forgiven. Uh, you know, First John, 1 John 1, 1.7 says that we are purified by the blood of Christ of all of our sins. It's an issue of not judicial forgiveness, it's an issue of parental forgiveness or fellowship, and so I confess because I owe something and, I, and, and we're trying to restore fellowship and it's therefore confession and repentance because otherwise we begin to treat God as though, well, we, we jump on First John 1.9. Well, if, I'm, you know, if I confess my sins, God's faithful and righteous, forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so we begin to treat confession of sin as like, well, every night I just, you know, empty my confession bucket to God of what I've done all day long. And then I get back up knowing in my heart and my mind, I'm going to go right back and do the same things. i probably be confessing them the night after that and the night after that. And before long, your confession habit begins to um, support your sin habit because I'm not really taking it seriously. Uh, that's where repentance comes in. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and change of direction in my life. So I confess, yes, to restore fellowship with the Father, but I repent because I want to, I want to change my heart to lead in a different direction so I'm not just bringing the same sins back to God over and over and over again. So um, then last week we talked about the second area of that is that is anger. You know, anger is when you've been hurt. Uh, It's when somebody owes you something. You feel like you're owed something. And uh, so the, the key antidote for that is forgiveness, right? The only way you can release yourself of anger, resentment, and bitterness and unforgiveness is through the process of forgiveness. And so Paul was very clear in saying that we are to forgive others just as Christ forgave us, and there's the key tagline. As, just as I re, Christ forgave me, I am to forgive others. So here's the key to forgiveness. If I only focus on what has been done to me and I don't focus on what has been done for me through Christ, I will continue to harbor unforgiveness. So you have to make that mental shift, that transition, if you're gonna replace lie with truth that's gonna enable you to exercise the forgiveness that you need to exercise in order to release you from that bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. So if I hurt you, see, um, that, then I'm guilty. If you hurt me, then I'm, I'm resentful, right? So the Bible says, don't let any root of bitterness spring up within you. You need to knock that down very quickly and keep very short record of those wrongs And so forgiveness is the antidote that God has given to us. Today, we're gonna talk about this thing of temptation because when you hear the word temptation, I don't know what flashes through your mind. I don't know what emotions it may bring. I don't know where you're temptable uh, and where you're not temptable. Uh, I can assure you that if we were to take a survey here this morning and I ask you, hey, what are your greatest sources of temptation? It would probably be a little different for all of us. There may be some overlap, but by and large, uh, we have areas in our lives in which we know that we are more temptable uh, than maybe in other areas. And so we could all point to some bad habits, some patterns of thinking or issues that we would like to resolve. And if we're not careful, we get stuck in this cycle of good intentions, and then we have failure, then we have guilt, then we confess, and we make promises to God, or we bargain with God, and I'll never do it again, and Lord, if you forgive me, I will. And and we we set all this up only to do it all over again and we get right back in the same we have good intentions you know like i'm making a new year's resolution i'm really going to keep this one this year i'm telling you i'm going to it's going to happen i'm going i'm going to make it and we do for about 3 days and then we're all back you know we're right back in the same cycle so we promise ourselves that next time we'll get stronger it's going to last longer we're going to pass it up and it's not going to be a problem for us anymore and this is an important issue because it is something that every single one of us faces on a daily basis. So we want to talk about um, temptation. So there are two key truths about temptation uh, out of the gate that I want you to, to lay hold of. And the first one is this. There is always more at stake than what you think. In other words, whatever you're being tempted with, you may think, well, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. It's just this one little thing and this one little decision this one little action, but I can assure you that there is much more at stake than what you think and what you, you see on the surface. There's a whole lot more at stake, and I'll mention uh, three of those in just a moment. The second truth is this: every temptation comes down really to one issue, and the issue is simply this: Can God be trusted? Can God really be trusted? For example, um, one of the part of the prayer that we talked about a few weeks ago is you know where we say to, to the Lord. Give us today our daily bread, right? Well, he's not talking about physical bread because, you know, we have uh, cabinets full of that. We can go to the store and buy that. He's talking about your daily needs, whatever those needs are. Well, let's say I have a need and I'm like trusting God to meet that need, but God has got me in a waiting game, right? How long are we willing to wait for God to meet a need? Be honest with yourself about a nanosecond, right? I mean, how patient are people to wait in line on Black Friday trying to buy, you know, purchase a gift for somebody that they're getting at a greatly reduced price, and everybody's just really patient and kind and lets everybody get in front of each other. How many of you already watched videos of mayhem that's gone on in stores on Black Friday? If you haven't watched any of them, you need to because they're quite hilarious. But anyways, um, so... The question is, are you, going to, are you willing to take God at his word, regardless of what you see going on around you? And, and all temptation comes down to that issue. You know, can God really be trusted? So what is at stake when you're tempted? Number one is your future is at stake when you're tempted. We can easily see this in other people. If you're a parent, you can easily overreact to uh, temptations that your children are facing, especially as they're growing up and they're getting older, and they're starting to become independent, you know, they become teenagers and start making their own decisions. And you begin to see the ramification of some of those decisions that are bad decisions as far as you're concerned and then all of a sudden, they make a bad decision. We we jump to conclusions, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my Lord. God, Lord, they're never going to graduate from high school. They'll never go to a good college. They'll, they're not going to get a good job. They going to be know about being out there on the streets. They'll never get married. I'll never have grandchildren. And we just go off the deep end, right? Because of these decisions that our kids are making. And we, we're thinking to ourselves, these are horrible decisions. But isn't it true? We don't, we don't see that in ourselves. <laughs> all right? We can see it in somebody else, but we don't necessarily see how our day in and day out decisions are impacting our future. And so our tempter is wise enough to know that the decisions that you're making today will ultimately impact your future. So if he can get you to make unwise decisions in areas of temptation, he understands that he's setting your feet on a path, and every path has a destination and if he can set your feet on the wrong path, that least to the wrong destination, he knows that you may not suffer the consequences of those actions immediately, but eventually he's going to ensnare you. That's what James 1, chapter 1, verses 13 to 15 is all about. Uh, so he entices with sin and he sets the trap. We keep making the decisions, heading down that pathway, and it's ultimately going to affect our future, although we may not see it right up front. And so sometimes we think, you know, we're just kind of getting away from th- getting away with things. Even when Jesus was tempted, I mean, what was at stake? What was at stake was not only his future, but was the future of all humanity. We're going to look at Jesus' temptation here in just a minute, because there's are three channels that Satan uses against you, just as he used against Christ. And that if Jesus would have yielded to the temptation of Satan, then he would have sinned, thus disqualified himself to be Savior of the world, and that would have affected not only his future, but also all of our futures, right? We would not be sitting here in a church on a Sunday talking about the Bible, all right? None of that would have transpired. Here's the second thing is at stake, is your family is at stake. Families get ripped apart, not because of a temptation you failed to overcome necessarily, but one, maybe even your, your parents failed to overcome. You know, some of you uh, in your childhood, you know, you, you suffered things because your, your parents made bad decisions because they were tempted in different areas and they continued to make bad decisions that ultimately led to, the, maybe for some of you, like me, the disintegration of the family. And so that affected not only their future, but my future and the family structure. And so, you know, growing up in a home without a father, I had no role model. I had no role model as a husband. I had no role model as a parent. And so, therefore, when I got married, you know, I I did not bring into the relationship a good role model for either of those things, which is why my my wife and I had a horrible marriage for the first ten years. Amen. Right? She'll she'll testify to that. So uh, yeah, we we had a lot of struggles because I just I didn't know how to I didn't know how to be a husband. I just you know just it just wasn't there. I didn't really know how to parent, and I just you know it was really disappointing to me that when my First child was born, my oldest daughter was born. She did not come with some kind of instructions, like, you know, this is what you need to do. But in the moment, you know, you may think, well, what I'm doing is only harming me. It never just stays with you because the habits I developed, the things that I developed in my life um, begin to affect everybody in my family. It begins to affect my future. You know, like there are many men who struggle with pornography, and they think, well, it doesn't matter, it's just the, 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 the secret sin. Well, it does matter because it doesn't just affect you, it begins affecting intimacy in your relationship, it begins affecting a lot of things in your family, and it's rewiring your brain and not in a good way, and so it has the fallout effect, that's, that's what I'm trying to get you to see. There's a lot more at stake when you are tempted than just this one decision that decision leads to another decision that leads to a pattern. And that pattern leads to a lifestyle, a thought process that begins to affect your future, the future of those around you, as well as your family. And thirdly, it affects your faith ultimately. It affects your faith because what did we say? All of temptation comes down to one issue. Can God be trusted? And so it begins to erode your faith as you're, and your confidence in God as you're yielding to these temptations over and over again. And so if you're a Christian, every time you sin, you're kind of chipping away at that confidence that you have. Um, you know, sin is not a mistake. An affair is not a mistake. It's a sin. And a mistake is something like, oops, I didn't mean to do this. Sorry. Uh, let's move on with life. That, that's not what's at stake here, right? There's a whole lot more at stake than just I made a mistake. Uh, so w- whenever you are tempted, you need to keep in mind, uh, what is at stake here? What are really the ramifications? I know it's just this one temptation at the one moment and one time, but that begins to lead to something else on down the road, right? So let's say, for example, you're having marital problems and there are issues between the husband and wife, and there are not a lot of good ooey-gooey feelings going on, and uh, you throw kids into the mixture, and that adds all kinds of stress to the relationship to begin with, especially when your kids are young. And uh, so, because, you know, they're takers, they're not necessarily givers. I know they try to give you love. They tell you, call your mom, and dad, and you're just like, oh, I'm just so... But, but really, they're takers. They demand time and energy from you. And so now there's stress in the relationship. Everything's just like, uh, you know, just things aren't happening anymore, and we're not complimenting each other anymore. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's an emotional readiness inside of you. And whenever there's an emotional readiness inside of you, I'll guarantee you, your tempter will bring somebody into your life and your relationship that will take advantage of that. And they will begin saying things. You're like, oh, you're so beautiful today. and You look really nice. And all the things that you're not hearing from your spouse anymore. And then so that temptation, if you yield to that, it's more than just one decision. It sets off a train of decisions that's going to lead you somewhere. You're setting your feet on a pathway that will ultimately lead to an affair and the breakdown and disintegration of the family is at stake here. And so there's a whole lot more at stake than what meets the eye. And so we need to understand that from the outset. This is why it is so, so, so important as a subject matter is how we handle, how we deal with temptation. And so here's my bottom line for today. Temptation is always a test of your faith, not just a test of your self-control, all right? So self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. If you try to put forth self-effort, your own self-control in in warring against temptation, you're gonna fall every time, I guarantee you. Nano said, your self-will is no match for your enemy. But if you learn how to yield yourself to the presence of the Holy Spirit and his self-control operating inside of you, that's a whole different ballgame. And this is exactly what Jesus displayed in the temptation process that he underwent uh, with with Satan. And so, um, yeah, your faith is really at risk, but so in Jesus, uh, when, let's go to Matthew chapter 4, and uh, I want us to look at the temptation process of Jesus because he, he displays some things here for us that we need to put in our arsenal if we're going to handle temptation um, correctly and forcefully. Let me just say this, when you stop trusting God, and this is why, you know, trust is so important. When you stop trusting him, you stop obeying him. And when you stop obeying him, it's just a matter of time before you stop believing him. And now you're on a very slippery slope. And this is exactly where your enemy wants you to go. This is exactly where he wants to place you. So there are three channels of temptation, same three channels that Satan's gonna use against you, and uh, I think we can learn some things from Jesus, uh, who gives us like this behind-the-scenes kind of look uh, at what happens when he is, he is tempted. Notice it says in Matthew 4, 1, "'Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, "'If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread.' Jesus answered, "'It is written, man does not live on bread alone.'" but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you'll notice that the temptation of Jesus came right after his baptism. What happened at his baptism? Remember the father spoke from the heavens? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so the pleasure of the father was already on the son and Jesus hadn't done anything yet as far as public ministry. He's just like out of the gate. And when he comes out of the gate of his baptism, notice very closely who led him into the wilderness. It was the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Now, if you were Jesus and the Holy Spirit's leading you into the wilderness and says, hey, I want you to come follow me, where are we going? <laughs> well, we're going to the wilderness. Well, what are we going to do there? Well, uh, Satan's going to come and, and I want you to fast and pray for 40 days, and then Satan's going to come tempt you. Like, th- did I do something wrong? You know, is is this a joke? Are you punking me right now, or why would you why would you do this? And so uh, here Jesus is in this desert, and the the word desert means to be hot, dry, barren. Um, It is it is a place uh, that you know you probably just would not want to go. And if you look at why it's in the desert, it's because it really goes all the way back to Genesis. Uh, You'll recall that it was in the Garden of Eden that Satan entered into God's realm the Garden of Eden, and tempted Adam and Eve. And so now Jesus is going to reverse the curse that had been placed upon humanity and the earth as a result of the fall of man. When Adam and Eve yielded to the temptation of Satan, remember what was at stake? Right? They gave up their right to have authority and dominion over God's creation. They gave that authority and dominion into the hands of Satan. And so when the Bible calls him the God of this world, that's why because he has the authority and dominion, at least temporarily, because Adam and Eve gave that up in the temptation. So again, remember, there's always more at stake than what meets the eye. And so now Jesus is in the wilderness. He's in Satan's territory, and he's going to reverse the curse because he has come to be Messiah. He is the hope of the world, right? He is the only one who can offer up himself in exchange for us. And that is, he can offer his blood sacrifice that would eternally provide forgiveness for humanity for our sins against God. And so here he is, he's fasting and praying. And by the way, until you have fasted or prayed over a problem or a need or a circumstance in your life, you have not fully addressed it as far as God is concerned. There are some areas in your life you're going to find where you are easily tempted and you yield and so if you, you've, you've promised God, you've done everything under the sun to say to God, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore, it's not going to happen, and, 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 you've, and you were sincere, I'm not saying you weren't sincere, you were sincere in what you said to him, but you've not fully addressed the issue. There are certain things that will only come by prayer and fasting. By which, By the way, one of the reasons we yield to temptation, because the temptation is based upon lie-based thinking. And until you uproot the lie that you're believing that's leading you to yield to the temptation or address the payoff that you're getting from the temptation, you probably will never, ever overcome that area of your life. And so sometimes that stuff has to be rooted out of you by the Holy Spirit through prayer and fasting who enables you to see what it is that's driving this behavior. And so too many of us give up in the face of trouble and... uh, before we have used all of our spiritual resources. And so Jesus knew that this was going to be a test from his father, but a temptation from Satan. Now make the distinction. James, in James chapter 1, makes that distinction. He talks about a testing and a temptation. The, te- the, word, the Greek word for test and temptation is identical word. And so what God means, means for a test Satan comes along and uses it as a temptation. And so the same thing is true here. God is putting Jesus to the test. Um, so Jesus, in this first temptation, he gave up, you know, natural, normal need for his body. He's praying and fasting, addressing the greater need that, of his spirit. And so that's what, that's what fasting is all about. And so God's about to test him. That's why he was led by the spirit into the wilderness but Satan's gonna take the test and turn it into a temptation. He says he's being tempted by the devil, All right, So well, why would God test us? Well, the difference is that a test is designed to validate your victory in Christ and to grow you spiritually. A temptation by Satan, on the other hand, is designed to defeat you spiritually. And so what God uses as a test in your life Satan may use as a temptation. So what is this temptation all about that we see here? What's the first channel? And this is on your outline. Is Here it is. So this deals, so First John says that all temptation falls in three categories, lust of the flesh, lust, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So these three temptations fall in those categories. This very first one deals with the lust of the flesh, and that is seeking to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. All right, so Jesus had a legitimate need, right? Okay, if you've been without food for 40 days, you'd be pretty hungry also. And so Satan comes along and says, hey, uh, you know, um, you really have every right. You know, if you are the Son of God, you really have all... And by by the way, he says, if you are the Son of God, he's questioning his identity, right? Note that because that's exactly what Satan's going to do with you. He's going to question your identity in Christ. And uh, so if you are the Son of God, well... Tell you what, you're hungry, you got a legitimate need, just turn these stones into bread, man. You ought to be eating something. If you're a heavenly father, so let's, let's translate this into our lives. Dad knows you have some needs, but dad ain't meeting those needs right now. And so Satan comes along and says, what are you waiting for? It's within your power to meet the need on your own. Go for it. Bypass him. You don't need to Wait. So for example, um, finances. Uh, We get ourselves into huge financial problems because we have some legitimate needs and we're waiting for God to to supply that need and Satan comes along and says, "Ah, you don't need to wait any longer. You got a credit card? Plunk it down. Put it on it. I'm not against credit cards. Don't, Don't send me emails about that. I'm not, but I am for responsibility. I'm just telling you, I've seen so many people get themselves into a financial mess or have no financial margin in your life. And when you have no financial margin, guess what that creates? Stress. And you can't get away from that stress. It's with you 24 seven. And when you take that kind of stress into relationships, guess what it creates in that relationship? Even more stress. And now husbands and wives, you know, you're fighting over money. Money is still one of the leading causes of divorce is because the stress of no financial margin wedges its way into the relationship, and as a result of that, it begins to deteriorate the relationship. You think that Satan knows those things? He's not stupid. He understands what's at stake here, but sometimes we don't, and we think that this one decision is just that. It's just one decision. And so, what does Jesus say? He says, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, God didn't give you the Bible to decorate your coffee table. God did not give you the Bible to stick under your arm and just bring it to church. God gave you his word in order for you to combat the lies that are driving your behavior. You have legitimate needs. I, get, I grant you that. Uh, we all have legitimate needs. The question is, are we fulfilling those legitimate needs in legitimate ways, the ways that God wants to fulfill them rather than just the way we want to fulfill them. Now, Jesus quotes to him out of Deuteronomy 8.3, and you'll notice that word bread. So in Deuteronomy 8.3 ties back to when God led Israel into the wilderness wanderings. They needed food, right? They had a legitimate need. And so God would bring manna from heaven. The word manna means, what is it? Uh, can you imagine you're picking up this stuff and you're like, what the heck is this? I, but, you know, God supplied them with their needs every single day, except on the Sabbath. So the day before the Sabbath, they took twice as much in order to provide for their needs. So what, what is the part of the prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Heavenly Father, I have confidence in you providing for the needs that I have. I have absolute confidence in you That if I'm I'm seeking first your kingdom, you said you will supply every single need I have. I'm making that a priority. I'm trusting in you. I'm putting my confidence in you. And so because I'm willing to put my confidence in my heavenly father, now Satan all of a sudden steps up and he challenges that confidence. He says, well, let's put that to the test. let Let me tempt you in that area. You say you have confidence in God? Well, let's see. Let's see how much confidence you really have. And so he, he has tricked us into neglecting our primary weapon, uh, which is the only weapon by which you can defeat him, and that is the word of God. And so uh, why, did, why, did, why did God give them something called manna that means what is it? Why did God make them become dependent upon him every single day as they went out every day and picked up manna? Because he was trying to... He was trying to drive into their thought processes that I am the God who loves you. I am the God who provides for you. You can trust me. You can have confidence in me. We've got a long way to go together into our future, and I don't want you balking on me now because there are going to be some times you're going to have to have some deep-seated trust in me. You're not going to understand it all. You're not going to see the big picture. You're just going to have to take one step at a time, one day at a time, and if you, if we falter here, we're never going to make it over here into the promised land, which obviously a whole generation did not, right? Remember, they sent out the spies. They looked at it and said, eh, man they're too big in there there're too many giants we can't do it we can't make... so they lost their confidence in God's promise that I am giving you I'm giving you this land and so this generation had to die out before the next one could go in and so the flesh the flesh is not your physical body your physical body is not evil the flesh is the thought processes that you have built in the grid system of your mind that are built upon lies and not truth Satan understands that. He just simply appeals to the lie so that you yield to the lie rather than yielding to the truth of God's Word. So it's very important for you to have an arsenal in your mind of the Word of God to combat the temptation that is hitting you. Listen, if you have to wait and go look for your Bible somewhere, I'll guarantee you, you're done, right? The temptation's already locked into your emotions, and you're going to be like these kids, right? And so you're like... "Uh," you're not going to withstand for very long. So here's the, here's the ramifications of this. And one is it draws us from the will of God, right? It draws us from the will of God. God has a will, a plan, a purpose for your life, and he wants, he wants to fulfill that. And it's a good plan. It's a good purpose. But if we're unwilling to wait for him to unfold that, then we oftentimes get outside of his will. And number two, it destroys our dependence upon God. Uh, here's a word I want you to put out there, and uh, we'll get back to it in, in a minute, right beside the temptation number one. puts the word comfort? Comfort. See, this is what the lust of the flesh is all about. It's about comfort. What can I do to make my life comfortable? That's what Satan was offering Jesus. Man, you shouldn't be without, you shouldn't be having hunger pains. You need to be comfortable. Let's, let's take care of those hunger pains outside of God's will, outside of him. Number two, temptation number two, the lust of the eyes. And it says that um, using God to accomplish, is using God to accomplish your own desires. Verse five says, the devil took him up to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Again, in Jesus' answers, it is also written, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test. And so here's Jesus 450 feet above the ground, and Satan is saying to him, let's prove to all Israel you are the Messiah, jump off this temple, and he quotes to him out of Psalm 91. So by the way, Satan reads the Bible. All right, So he quotes out of there, Hey, Listen, God's not going to allow anything to happen to you. His, ar- His angels will take charge of you, and he's going to drop you down right in front of Israel, and they're going to bow before you and proclaim you as Messiah. We're going to do this in a miraculous way. This is going to be spectacular. And so uh, Jesus, again, just responds, you know, it is, it is written, Um. If I can't get you to act independently of God, um, Satan is saying, "Is that let me just use a little bit of uh, a little bit of religion on you? Let, let's give you a little bit of Bible." I would be embarrassed uh, to pre- confess to you how many times I have used the Bible to justify horrible decisions, knowing in my heart that the decision wasn't right, I just tried to proof text it. Am I alone? Of course not. I know you too well. But, you know, Jesus counters, and he's not ruffled by Satan's out of the context quoting a Scripture. So Jesus says, you know, if you're going to quote Scripture, let's, let's tell the whole story. And so he refuses this temptation. Why is Satan tempting him in this way? What, what it really, what's the pushback on this? Here, here it is. Number one is that it draws us away from the Word of God, and it destroys our confidence in God. I, I may have misquoted the first, the last one, destroying our dependence upon God. This destroys our confidence in God. And so what is, what is the temptation here? The temptation here is for approval. Jesus, if we do this, everyone's going to approve of you. They're going to acknowledge you as the Son of God. Do you know how many temptations you and I face that really have to do trying to gain the approval of others in our lives? How many times that Satan gets us sidetracked because we're looking for affirmation through the approval of others? We're, we're looking for security through the, the approval of others. We are looking for a sense of self-worth through the approval of others of others and that just like opens us wide up wide open all kinds of temptations because we are yielding to these things seeking the approval of other people trying to find a sense of self-worth through them here's temptation number 3 verse 8 again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord God and serve him only. And then it says the devil left him and the angels came and they attended to him. And so here the third temptation has to do with the pride of life. And that is this, to pursue the right thing in the wrong way by taking shortcuts. You're you're pursuing the right thing in the wrong way, but you're going to take some shortcuts. So this is what Satan is offering Jesus. All right, tell you what, uh, I'm going to give you the kingdoms of the world. Now, you notice Jesus didn't say, you don't have the right to do that, because remember what Adam and Eve gave up? Kingdoms, right? The dominion and authority of God. And so, yes, Jesus is Messiah. He has authority and dominion. But also remember that Jesus has set his divine card aside. He's living as a human being, And so he's being confronted by Satan to take a shortcut, to bypass the cross in order to gain the kingdoms of the world that are really rightfully his anyway. But the only way he's going to gain those back is to reverse the curse upon humanity that came as a result of the fall of humanity. That's why the Bible refers to him as the second Adam. And that's why this temptation process was so vitally important. Does this make sense? So the pride of life is a temptation to be wanted, to be liked, to be loved, to to be even worshiped, kind of. And so Jesus is unwilling to take the shortcut. He's not unaware of the fact that his whole purpose for coming into the world as a baby in a manger is to be the Lamb of God who's coming to take away the sin of the world, which means as the Lamb of God, he will be offered up as the sacrifice for humanity, for the sins of humanity. He understands what his destiny is. But he's unwilling to bypass the hard stuff in order to gain what the Father wants to give him to begin with, because it's hard, right? Now, we know in his humanity, when he got in the Garden of Gethsemane, prior to his being arrested and the crucifixion process starting, that he prayed three times, no, Father, if, this, if, if there's any other way, please take this cup away, which is the cup of God's wrath. Take this cup away. You know, if, if there's some other way, but not my will, but your will be done. And so here is the, the fallout of all of this is that when we take shortcuts, it draws us away from the worship of God and it destroys our obedience to God. And here's the word you want to put out to the side there is the word control. See, the pride of life is all about me being in control. Now, in the very first up front, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, was all about, we talked about, an issue of surrender. And if I refuse to surrender, whatever I've refused to surrender, to the lordship of Jesus will seek to have control over my life for the rest of my life. And quite frankly, we all like to be in control of all things, don't we? So when you look at these three words, comfort, approval, control, those are the false messiahs in your life. And these are the three areas that Satan's going to tag you in. I don't care what temptation you're facing, it's probably going to fall under one of these three categories. And it's certainly going to hit on one of the four heart issues, guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Because jealousy says, and this is where Satan really trips us up, jealousy is not more, when we hear the word jealousy, we think, oh, I'm just envious over what this person has or I'm, I'm envious over, you know, this person's smarter than me, uh, more athletic than me. Uh, you, know, they, they, you know, it just seems like they just, they're just going places in their life, and I'm not. That, no, that, that's, not, that's not the key issue. The key issue of jealousy is you want something you can't have. And the key issue is God is the one who's keeping me from having it. Your problem in jealousy is not with other people. It's with your Creator. God, you could have made me smarter. You could have put me in a better family growing up. You could have protected me from those things that happened to me in my childhood. God, you could have given me the better job, the raise, the promotion. You could have done any of those things because none of those things are outside of your control. Therefore, God, you owe me. And you owe me big. Just listen to the way we pray. And so James came along in James chapter 4 and verse 2, and he said, you want to know why there's quarreling and fighting among you? Because you want something you cannot have. That's why. It's the root of. And so who is the one who could give us anything? It's God. But He's not. And therefore, quite frankly, I'm just really ticked. I'm hurt. I'm resentful. And Satan understands that. He zeroes in. So these are the three channels. So what were the sources that Jesus has as we wrap this up? The secret to Jesus' success, if we can call it that, was prayer, fasting, the Word of God, and faith. And those are the same four ingredients that God has given to you. Prayer, fasting... The Word of God and faith. Now, I, I mean, I wish I had some more time to unpack this thing about the jealousy of God, but we'll, we will do that at some future time. Um, but for the sake of time, let me just give you some steps of action, okay? It's not on your outline, it's free of charge, and I got two minutes to do Here's some steps of action. The whole goal of our church is help you take your next step towards God. Well, here's how you handle temptation, right? You need to understand when you're being tempted, the first thought you want to have is how's this going to impact my future, my family, and my faith if I yielded this? Well, How's this going to impact? Why is that important? because it awakens you to the fact this just isn't one single isolated temptation. This isn't just one single isolated decision that is not going to have any future effects upon myself, my family, or my faith, because that's a lie of the enemy. Number two is that you you want to identify what makes you vulnerable. What makes you vulnerable? Jesus said this in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Spirit's willing, but the body is weak. Notice he says to both watch and pray, not one or the other, both. What am I watching for? Well, you need to watch for, some, you need to watch for what, what is it that it makes you so temptable? Just by asking yourself some questions, very easy questions like, well, when am I most temptable? Is it like on Mondays or Tuesdays or Fridays, you know, like I've had a long week and and, you know, I'm really drained by the end of the week, and it's not quite the weekend. I got to go to work Friday. Is that, am I more temptable then? Is it, is it like in the morning, afternoon, evening, after everybody goes to bed? Uh, when, when, uh, when are you most vulnerable to the temptations that Satan is bringing you? You know what they are. You know where your weaknesses are. You know what you keep folding to over and over again. So the question is, when is that happening? What time of the day, you know? When am I most temptable? Number two is, where am I most temptable? Like, where are you when this is taking place? Maybe it's while you're at work. Maybe it's while you're at your neighbor's house. Maybe it's while you're alone and everybody's gone to bed. Maybe it's at the sports bar. Maybe it's at the beach. Maybe it's on your computer. I don't know what it is for you, but you need to understand, where, when are you most inv- vulnerable and, and where are you when this is happening? And the, here's the third question. Who's with you? If anyone, are you by yourself, or the others with you? Um, you know, there's a pattern that begins to establish here. That's what I want you to be able to short circuit. Right? When you know, what's the temporary benefit if you give into it? Listen, there's always some kind of payoff going on in your life when you're yielding to something over and over again. You're getting some kind of payoff. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Right? The Bible says sin is a pleasure at least for a while, and then comes payday. You're getting some kind of pleasure here that's helping you. Um, so what is that? And here's the last question. How do you feel right before you're tempted? Right? What are the emotional triggers going on? Are you lonely? Are you frustrated? Are you angry? I mean, what are the emotional triggers that seem to be coming up in your life that leads you to the yielding of this temptation that Satan keeps hammering away at you with that you've promised God 500 times you would never do again, but you just find yourself right back to the same old well. Right. So what, what is it that's making you vulnerable? And here's the last one. Is The third step is this, is that whatever it is, that area, you need to saturate your mind with the truth of God's Word. This is exactly what Jesus did. So he, just gave, he just gave truth. So he says, like, here's the truth. My confidence is in my Father. I'm going to live by the truth. I'm not yielding to this because I know there's a whole lot more at stake than just this one temptation. And so you have to let the Word of God root out the lie out of the grid system of your mind, replace it with truth, so that when you're confronted with the lie, you confront it with truth. You take every thought captive, as the Bible says, to the presence of Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to exercise self-control over your life as this Temptate. And so one of the things that helped me the most is I just start drilling down on how, what is really at stake here. And if you really want to battle the temptation, it's not all God and, you, and nothing you, it's also you, right? So if you find yourself, okay, I'm vulnerable to this temptation after everybody's gone to bed, it's happening on my computer, you know, I'm looking at pornography or whatever it might be for you, uh, then you need to set up some safeguards, right? Like, so you don't take your, you leave your computer out with you when you're not around your wife. You, you stick it in the bedroom, put it on a nightstand where you have no access to it with your phone or, or do what I do. We share an iCloud. Everything goes through my computer. Everything goes through my phone, goes through her computer. Even if you text me, my wife sees those texts. Why, why? That's just building in safeguards. Why, why would I want to keep yielding to something without building in safeguards? That would just be stupid because, uh, you know, you and I, in our flesh, we are not any match for our enemy. But when you allow the Holy Spirit to be released and you set up the safeguards and you look for the areas where you're vulnerable and what are the trigger systems that is happening in your life and you start avoiding those things as much as humanly possible and you start setting up safeguards, that's amazing how you will get a handle on those things that have crippled you for perhaps a lifetime.